We all begin the process before we are ready, before we are strong enough, before we know enough. We begin a dialogue with thoughts and feelings that both tickle and thunder within us. We respond before we know how to speak the language, before we know all the answers, and before we know exactly to whom we are speaking. Clarissa Pancola Estes. This quote was given to me by our guest today, James Sochi who is a researcher, facilitator, and storyteller, and a very dear friend of mine and an amazing human that I feel so blessed and grateful to know in this life and super excited for us to be doing this podcast episode together today. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's so wonderful to be here and just the, the facial expression change Uh, exchange that we just had reminds me of some of our deepest moments when you would come to visit me at Esalen and we'd just have this moment of encounter with each other and this like mischievous grin on our faces like all right we're about to have a little adventure together (laughs) (laughs) I did feel like that didn't it you know I was uh, looking at our synastry before we got on and for those who want to follow along James's birth info is March 8th 1984 Pittsburgh Pennsylvania 12 10 p.m and one thing that I noticed that I, I don't know maybe I forgot or I just hadn't noticed in a long time is um you have an exact Sun-Mercury conjunction in Pisces at 18 degrees, and it's exactly conjunct my Jupiter at 18 mm-hmm. degrees Pisces. And then your Jupiter at 9 degrees Capricorn is conjunct my Sun-Mercury conjunction. So we're both Sun-Mercury conjunct, and then our Jupiters are conjunct each other's Sun-Mercury. And when when I see that mm-hmm double repetition where it goes both ways, I really feel like on the one hand, it's the universe saying, hey, pay attention to this. But on the other hand, it's a really like deep affirmation of our karma together. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, that mischievous grin and that sense of adventure that comes with Jupiter, you can definitely see that in our sinistry. And I think that combined with feeling like the mutual sense of support and also what brought us together was well, philosophy really. So it's a yeah. very Jupiterian relationship and friendship that we have. Mm. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that for <laughs> sure. Definitely always feel like an expanded version of myself with you. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, me too. And we laugh a lot. We do. <laughs> Well, today I'm just excited to go on an adventure with you, speaking of adventures. And, you know, we've recently been working on a lot of projects together with Trust Psyche and the new career that you've taken on, which I couldn't say you you couldn't be more well suited for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if maybe you want to just tell us a little bit about what it is that you're doing and see where that takes us. Yeah. So my current career trajectory, I'm uh, a user experience researcher. So user experience is mostly used in tech, and it's all about really connecting product development with actual user needs and desires and delights. And so the research comes in um, with me with really just connecting with 
the people that use the product, the people that use the service, uh, and the work that we've been doing together. I feel like it's been a bit of an expanded version of that because we've delved into branding and visual identity. and um, But all of it, I think, comes back to the root of why I'm inspired to take this path is that you know, we as humans, we make things, we use things, and the better that those things are, the better our lives are. And as we are creating our services, as we're creating our products, as we're creating anything, we are reflexively creating ourselves as well. So bringing intention into that process, bringing um, a, a structure of discovery and empathy into that process makes better things and makes better people one thing that really turns me on is when someone like yourself who has so much heart and compassion but also is extremely intelligent goes into the tech world or goes into the, the world of business, right? Typically, um, with someone that has those kind of qualities or characteristics, you would say, oh, why aren't you in the counseling profession? Why aren't you in the healing arts? Um, but instead, you're taking those qualities of empathy and curiosity, but you're you're infusing it into the tech world, which you know, stereotypically is understood as being not those things. So I, yeah, it feels very interesting to me, the combination of that. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I've struggled with and gone back and forth with so many times in all of the career iterations that I've had. Um, I felt very drawn to counseling professions or, um, you know, I do ritual work. I do, um, self-development and, and work with circles and, and individual work. Um, however, I continually feel myself pulled into the business world because most people on this planet and, you know, maybe don't work in tech, but work in some sort of, you know, quote unquote, normal industry. Um, we as people spend so much of our lives, years of our lives, 40 hours a week plus in those spaces where we're working together, um, that has a huge impact on our life. So while I think that, um, therapy and counseling and personal work and all of those things are really, really important. I think that the real work comes in, in how we live our daily lives and how I'm spending that 40 hours a week with other humans around me, if that space can be infused with more, um, with more integrity, with more joy, with more purpose, um, you know, then, then we get to have these full and beautiful lives. Like mm -hmm. we don't have um, the same type of community spaces that maybe we've had in previous generations where even if people weren't very religious, they still probably belonged to a church community and they had these other spaces where they were getting that sort of community fulfillment, where they were building their understanding of values and virtues. And to me, I think we really get that fulfillment. We get that community, sense of community. And I think we get our sense of morality and values a lot from those spaces where we work. Mm. So, you know, therapeutic spaces are really important, but they're, um, they're most effective and important if it has an effect on all of those other areas of our 
lives. So I'm really interested in how we can take those principles and put them into practice in the more, you know, mundane everyday lived experiences. Excuse me. I think I see two parts of your chart coming through really clearly. Mm. First of all, okay, the sun, Mercury, and Pisces is clearly the part of you that's concerned with this more like integral or holistic approach to these spaces. But the spaces that you're talking about in this case, if we're talking about tech or the world of business, is that square to Uranus in your chart, which classically is related to technology and to science. And mm. it's taking a like a really progressive um, avant-garde, um, outside of the box, eccentric, different take on something that most Pisceans would be doing. So it's like you're a Pisces and you bring that compassion and that empathy um, and that collective understanding or even that sense of where we get our meaning and our purpose. And you use the word religion and like these spaces that we go to in order to get, you know, fulfilled on a spiritual level. Yeah. But that square to Uranus, it's like, yeah, but you know, it's not just in the realm of tech that you're working, but you're saying that you want to change how things are done. And that's really important to you to be a change maker. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, the sun Mercury is trying to Saturn within two degrees. And so you're focused both on ethics, but also on the mundane world. Like you're saying, no, like day-to-day life is really important. 40 hours where we spend most of our time. It's this really like down to earth, practical, logical, rational approach saying, no, like look at the numbers, look at the statistics, be realistic. Where do you spend the majority of your time? And that's definitely that trying to Saturn. So I can see like, yeah, the unique expression of how that's coming through you. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it's not just in tech. I think it's in, you know, every, um, any kind of business setting. I've worked retail, I've worked hospitality, you know, working at, at Esalen. Um, in all of these spaces, I think people need the opportunity to um, have that supportive structure. Hmm. Hmm. Can you say more about that? Like what's that supportive structure look like to you? Mm. Yeah. So to me, I mean, it's all relational, right? So it's how we relate to each other within those spaces. How do we communicate our ideas? How do we make decisions? Um, Let me try to get really specific here with a year and a half ago, I was working in hospitality. I was managing a bar and bartending and um, another, you know, like tech, maybe space where we don't immediately associate um, fulfilling and empathetic workspace with um, the bar and restaurant industry. Uh, so how that might how that showed up for me in that space was, you know, one thinking about, um, you know, what does it mean to have dignity in work in a space where a large portion of people consider it undignified work, being a server or being a bartender or, um, you know, cooking food for people. So one thing that I did was, you know, interview all of the people that I was working with and have like 
really, you know, deeper conversations on, you know, what are the times that you are at work and you're not feeling sure of yourself or, you know, what are the, what are this, the shitty times of work just to, you know, ground it and be very real. Um, and a lot of time it was just, you know, not feeling knowledgeable about questions that people asked, you know, something so simple. This customer is asking me a question about this um, spirit and I, I didn't know what to say. And then I felt stupid. Something really basic, but this is a person's continual lived experience that this is a repeated thing that happens. And it's just like, to me, it's those tiny little dings, those tiny little dings that happen in our daily life that make us feel bad or make us feel less than, or just like, don't, you know, bring us fulfillment. So what can we do? Okay, well, let's create a structure where now incorporated into our regular monthly meetings, we are going to incorporate spirits and cocktail education into our meetings. You are now going to be the most expert server staff in all of Portland because you're going to know about all of every single bottle on the shelf. You will have tasted everything. You'll know where it comes from. You'll know how to put it in a cocktail. And now when people ask you those questions, instead of that being a little ding to my ego, that's going to be a place where, hey, I feel really good because I know this and I can give this information to this person and they can have an elevated experience as well. So it's something so basic and fundamental and simple that we might not even pay attention to, which now becomes, transforms from a, an unconscious kind of ding to a place of empowerment for someone. Um, okay. So that just blew my mind. I mean, for me, that's really talk about, um, not just taking an empowering position, but like, yeah, like recognizing that we all get hurt and Mm -hmm. wounded in the tiniest moments. And when we can slow that down and be honest about it and address it, like oftentimes there is a solution or at least we can get some greater agency around it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what's been so... Hmm. enlightening for me over the past year with you is how you've come into trust psyche and somehow you got the entire brand to revolutionize itself Mm. and came in first doing user experience research like talking with people who used my website, students of mine, clients of mine, like to get an understanding of like what tri-psyche is to them. And then you applied that data and you came back and you're like, these are your users. This is why they're here. This is what's going on. Mm. And now there's these like really real practical steps that we can take to enhance their experience. Mm. And it's like, okay, intuitively I probably knew that. But I had no idea whatsoever where to begin that process. And you so efficiently and effectively came in and was like, okay, da 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 da. And now I have everything from a new logo to, uh, I mean, we can get in this trust psyche is now two words, they're each capitalized. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I dropped archetypal. It's now just astrology and depth psychology. This yeah. podcast is no longer called stream. It's called <laughs> trust psyche, the podcast. I mean, a lot of that is you. Um, and it just has a lot of resonant tones from what you just described from working as a manager of this bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a superpower. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, I mean, I really do think it's all about the building the structure, you know, and maybe that's, that's a lot of my Saturn coming in. But for me, it's like really looking at it from a structural, from a skeletal kind of level of like, there's a way to, um, you know, take that information. And, and, you know, in the example that I just gave to you, it's like, okay, like, yeah, it's pretty obvious to me as a server that if I knew more about the information people were asking me for, that would feel better. Right. Um, but there's millions of little things that we can do all of the time. So let's like focus on here's this one thing and let's build a supportive structure so that we can solve that problem. Um, you know, and I think of, uh, always to me what, um, you know, whether I'm like in, in the business setting, you know, I've worked with different, um, consulting companies before, and I view it really similarly to a lot of the, you know, retreat experiences or personal work experiences that I've done. Um, I'm not, all that interested in just some like feel good information. Of, of course, we all want to feel good. Feel good information is is nice to have. Um, I'm not so interested in that kind of information. I'm not as interested in the peak experience. I'm interested in how is this going to continually change my life on a day to day lived experience in a lived way. You know, like everything that I told you when we did our research, like nothing was surprising to you, right? Like sharing the information that I gathered from your students, it wasn't surprising. Um, but, but the gold and the treasure that comes from that is like, here it is. Now we can see it. Let's start to build a structure and figure out how we can actually do something in a practical way with it. Hmm. I mean, that's just so much of what we're doing in psychotherapy. Yeah. Like we take the research, we hear the person's stories like naturally their biography comes out and then you're like let's see it and the therapist is like okay this is what we see now we have eyes on whatever is going on here let's build a structure to deal with this like what are real things that you can implement to bring structural change to your life I mean that's a huge part of what going into therapy is about is somebody's looking to change something and um I was listening to Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. I listen to it when I run. And um, she was talking about um, how when we name something, it gives us power. Mm-hmm. But the fear is, is that it's going to give it power. But actually, it gives us power. Mm-hmm. And then she says, what does that power do? It allows for transformation. And then she quotes MLK, who says, transformation is the ability to affect change and to fulfill purpose or to Mm -hmm. achieve purpose. Yeah. That's like, okay. So, I mean, that's essentially to me what you're describing. You're like, let's see this. Let's build a structure around it. And then let's give ourselves the power to change whatever it is that's going on here. Totally. And I think that's where you and I have so much resonance because, you know, I've shared with you many times, like there's 
astrology practitioners. And then there's what you're doing with your practice. And it isn't that, um, it isn't that kind of like, you know, the fluff or the peak experience that I'm talking about. Like, yes, like sitting down and getting a reading is, is a peak experience. It is this, you know, amazing ritual, um, that is elevated. It's, you know, it's, it's a moment that has a little bit more meaning than the rest of our lives, but what comes after that, like you really root and ground and facilitate an experience rather than it coming from a, you know, space of come into this space so I can show you what a guru I am. Mm. You're coming from a, let me facilitate an understanding for you. And this is going to be a cool experience for you. But everything that you do after you leave this session, I'm giving you the tools to do that work when you leave. Um, and and I, that's, sorry. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, that is one of the many reasons that I have so much respect for your work and for what you do and like put that into a different category. Thank you so much. I mean, for me, it's rooted in suffering. Mm. Like, because I'm in touch with my suffering, both in my past, but also in my current moment, <laughs> like mm. it, it, and I know that everybody suffers. Staying in touch with that is what allows me to work in this way. And, mm. you know, I hope that, um, by the time you're done with the reading with me, you feel good. You feel empowered. It was exciting. It was a treasurable moment with a high burn rate of listening back again and again to the audio. But that ultimately you feel so touched and seen and not alone that it gives you the courage to make those really hard decisions that we each have to make in order for real change to take place. Mm. And the thing that's really hard about real change taking place is after we have the initial insight and the inspiration to do it, when you're talking about something that's like really big change in, in one's life, like changing a karmic pattern that was handed down to you by your ancestors and you've been doing it forever, mm. it's going to take years yeah. to reassimilate one's life through a million little choices every day, like you're saying, mm -hmm. to actually live that new life that resembles what the insight was. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. And I know firsthand that that's hard. And so like, I don't dish that out, um, you know, just like, I don't know what the word is. I don't just be like, well, eh, good luck with that. It's like, yeah. no, you know, mm. and not it's, everybody wants to do that. No, no. And even those of us that do want to do it, don't want to do it in all of the ways. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm curious to hear more about this idea of you, the connection, your ability to be present with your pain and how that helps you to, um, you know, it's kind of clear to me how that might help you show up for someone else's pain and how to hold their pain in those moments. Um, but how do you see that connection with the specific way that you practice in this kind of different way? 
Well, I think this is maybe perhaps somehow connected to your wanting to go into Chiron together, which I'm just like itching to do because uh, um, you wrote to me a little bit about it. And I don't know. I feel like somehow it's connected together. So I'm wondering if maybe we want to open that up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you want to share your thoughts <laughs> on it? or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I I guess, you know, the first thing that comes up, it's like talking about an archetype to someone who I consider like way beyond my skill set definitely feels intimidating. And uh, me and Chiron, we've been we've been pals for a long time. Uh, So I I think what Mm. what initially comes up for me is I it really grates against something in me when I hear Chiron referred to as the uh, wounded healer. Mm-hmm. I don't like that designation because um, obviously we all have Chiron in our in our charts. We all have those wounded that those spaces of wounding. Um, and when I hear hear the wounded healer, it just I think there's too much of a, a connotation with some sort of like professional or practical application that I'm supposed to take with it. Mm. It, it feels like it puts me in this space of um, one like pressure to do something with that pain. And also um, mm. I think mm. puts it in this space of, um, well, when I heal this pain, then now I get to go and heal others who have this uh, wound. Yes. And so now suddenly I'm just like putting distance between myself and the wound, which I can, I think can be a false balm of um, now I don't have to deal with it anymore. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the real shadow side mm-hmm. of calling it the wounded healer. And I totally understand why you would feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the the things that I shared with you in the email when I was talking about Chiron, um, one of the most potent experiences that I've had with the archetype, uh, this was a year and a, a little more than a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, um, a, a person in my community here in Portland, um, died by suicide and, you know, it rocked uh, as suicides do. It just, you know, really kind of like rocked the community. Um, This person was estranged from his birth family. And so his best friend who, you know, is one of my close friends, she asked if I would lead the um, celebration of, of life ceremony for his community. Uh, And you know, a tremendous honor to be asked to do something like that. Also, um, you know, I don't know, obviously, like, you know, some people who are, who are maybe clergy members have a lot of experience with that, with leading those sorts of ceremonies. Um, But it's very much deeply going into like the most unknown territory, like how, how do, how to lead people through, a process of grieving the, the death of someone. Um, and 
When we showed up to the space, I had already decided that I wanted to open the circle by telling the story of Chiron, because for me, dealing with those moments of such immense pain that the psyche can barely contain it, being able to process that through the story, I think can be really powerful. Um, And when I showed up to the house that day, um, this young man's birth mother and sister had come to the ceremony. So there was just like a lot of potency in this room. Uh, So I wanted to do just the most basic ceremony um, where everybody had a chance to speak and grieve. And we had a table full of candles and everyone was invited to say what they wanted to say and snuff out a candle. And if you didn't feel comfortable speaking, you could just, you know, sit for a moment in silence and and snuff Mm -hmm. a candle out. So I open with Chiron and I think most of the people who were there probably don't even remember the name Chiron, but as we're all kind of feeling into this story and I think of this quote from Philip Pullman who wrote the, the, um, his dark materials series, he says that when we tell a story, especially older stories, the spirit of the story will come into the room to aid you in the telling of its tale. And I've felt that many times, and I certainly felt it in this room that we were all kind of experiencing our our grief through through this story. And at the end, um, his mother hadn't spoken, and we were about to finish the circle, and I just kind of paused, feeling that something was emerging. And this woman stood up and started speaking, and essentially said, you know, shared her grief of how she hadn't shown up for her son, how she hadn't accepted him or his lifestyle, how looking back, she realizes that some of the things that she did to him as a child were abusive. And she looked around the room and it was basically this exchange of, I will never be able to tell him that I'm sorry, but I see how much you all loved him. And I want you all to know that I am sorry. And it was just this moment of a beautiful expression of that exact Chiron archetype, the wound that cannot heal. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and again, going back to this, the wounded healer um, designation, um, it makes it feel like there's a happy ending. Mm -hmm. And I think the story and the lesson that come from Chiron are that some things don't get to heal. We don't get to have the happy ending for every part of our lives. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we just have to learn how to move in this world and live with the pain of this wound. That's mm. not going to go away. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. And for me, that's the definition of healing. Mm. Everything you just told in that story for me is what healing is. It was healing mm-hmm. for that mother to get that chance to do that. 
Mm-hmm. It didn't make her son not die. It didn't take away the life of pain that she is going to have moving forward. None of that. Yeah. It doesn't wipe it clean. It doesn't make it pure. It doesn't make us start from the beginning. But if you're telling me that the facilitation of that sacred space that you helped to create through the ritual that you did wasn't healing for her, and I imagine rippled through the other side as her son was watching that Mm -hmm. ceremony, and to see him say sorry, to see her say sorry. Mm -hmm. Your invocation of Chiron through telling the story did what Chiron does, which is always paradoxical and therefore unresolvable that's not the point right the wounds were fully present and yet there was connection there was meaningful connection and Mm -hmm. empathy because you were not afraid to stay in the eye of the wound which is what suffering is Mm -hmm. so you weren't trying to Pretend he didn't kill himself. You weren't trying to pretend that his mother wasn't there who had abandoned him in various ways. You weren't trying to pretend that this wasn't an awkward, uncomfortable situation. Yeah. You were honest and you showed up in that presence. It does something. And, and although in this particular dimension, in this life, uh, we can't take back that he felt so alienated and so alone that he was in so much pain that he took his life Mm. and the responsibility that his mother feels for that. But I trust and I have to believe that what happened in that space changed future timelines for his soul and for hers. Mm. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And, you know, kind of connecting it with the, the quote that you were saying from Brene Brown, um, you know, maybe it's like we almost need to tease out multiple definitions of healing, right? Because our, our maybe immediate association is, oh, if I've healed from that, it's over and it's gone and I don't have to think about it anymore. Um, but then there are these, you know, other ways where we don't necessarily get to, it's not completely closed. The wound hasn't completely closed and we don't get to just move on as if it never happened Right. as we do with some things. Um, so, you know, maybe there are multiple other kinds of healing that could benefit from a a specific name, (laughs) Um, you know, a new name or new words for these other types of healing that might feel more inclusive to people because, you know, we all want, um, you know, there's types of healing where wound cut is closed. I'm moving on. There's the type of healing that's, you know, this is always going to be painful that I lost this person, but I, you know, now have gotten to a point where I'm not actively grieving, where I can feel a sense of joy as I feel the pain of the loss of this person. 
you know, there's the healing that this is still so painful, but I've found a way to adjust my posture and my body and move through the world in this different way with that pain. Um, and probably many more, but I think it's really important what you're saying, because I do think that the connotation the wounded healer gives off, especially in a lot of ways that it's used now in the self-help world or mm. called the new age world is one where you heal it and it's over or you heal it and then you get to become a healer. Right. And I agree that I think those are dangerous approaches because the uh, first of all, you're going to be gravely disappointed. That's not how life works. But, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of times in therapy, what I'm dealing with clients is like, they're like, when's this going to heal? I've been working on this for sometimes 40 years. And I'm like, well, let's slow that down. What do you mean heal? Like, what does you being healed look like? And I'll get them to try to define it for me. Mm. And they'll tell me. And if I'm like, you know, in my experience, that's not what happens. Like if you're expecting, let's say your mother didn't love you, if you're expecting that you're going to do therapy and workshops and entheogens and one day like just get to the place where she did love you, Mm. it's not going to happen. You will always be, your identity formation is, comes out of her not loving you. There are other Mm. things, but your identity formation comes out of that. Also, your relational style, your attachment style, you can get mm. more skilled at things. You can you can get better at things. But will you always be able to tap into that abyss inside of you where your mother didn't love you? Yes. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the work we're doing is going to change that. And I hope me not pretending that mm. is in some way healing for you. Yeah. Because I'm not trying to get you to change who you are or what happened to you. Mm. which I think a lot of therapy does. Yeah. It's a falsified belief or an agenda to try and make somebody get rid of parts of themselves. I have no interest in doing that. Mm. And it's because I'm aware of my own suffering to such a degree and my own pain and the own ways that I have been abandoned and neglected that allow me to understand that that's not the goal of our work here. However, Coming back to Chiron, you have Moon Chiron conjunct, Mm -hmm. and it's um, in your 11th, 12th house. So when you say me and Chiron have been pals from the beginning, I take that very Mm -hmm. literally because the moon is the beginning of our life and who we are as a young child, as a baby, as a young child, but that Whatever your immortal, unhealable wounds are, by you staying honest and in touch with them, it does allow you to show up in a capacity that is healing for other people. And it doesn't mean that that wound for for you is going to be healed or go away. And I think hopefully that's what that means, wounded healer. Yeah. But. I think we also have to take into consideration what scale of time we're looking at when we're talking about healing. And yes, when we're human and we're in these bodies, we have these emotions and time is linear and we have about a hundred years here if we're lucky. Yeah, there's certain things that would be unethical for us to say that's going to heal your child killing themselves. Mm-hmm. 
But if we zoom out on the on the span of a soul's lifetime and that more transpersonal level, I do think timelines change and they change by the very responsibility that that mother took in that moment to own what she did. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. And, uh, and I, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's like, even if the goal isn't to be a healer, if we are um, tending to our own wounds in a, um, uh, I want to say healthy way, but that, that feels incomplete as well. But if I am actively tending to my wounds in a self-responsible way, that is going to have a, a ripple out of a healing healing effects to the other people in my life. So I I do understand the the association and see that importance where, you know, I think in my um in my own life and work when there are those spaces where I'm like, okay, doing paying attention to this or trying to find shifts and changes isn't this isn't completely healing it. So how do I want to respond to this aspect of myself? Um, well, something I can do is I, I want to give the gifts to others that I didn't receive to myself. So, you know, to maybe depersonalize it, um, but to use the, the example that you gave of like, someone that had, you know, maybe an absent mother or, or a mother that they didn't receive love from. I might never heal that particular wound, but I can give motherly love to other people in my life. And um, I guess the question that I have, and, you know, maybe this is for you or for um, the work that you've done and the work that you've seen your clients do, you know, what is that, that shift? If that core wound doesn't exactly go away, you know, what's happening there when I'm able to um, give it out to other people in ways that I wasn't receiving it? What's happening there in what sense? Like what, what's transpiring? What's the point? What's the reward? If, if we can talk about it in maybe a, a metaphoric or visual way. So let's say I've you know, got this wound, it's not going to close, you know, you know, like Chiron's kind of his, his gash, the wound is still there and it's not going to close, but I've decided that, um, I need to, you know, Mm. to, to give love and comfort to other people who are suffering. Mm -hmm. So what exactly is happening for me? Like, how do you see that happening for the person where wound is still there and I'm, doing something that's maybe karmically important or healing for other people in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So to answer your question, I think it has a lot to do with what your metaphysics is and your understanding of what time is Mm. and how time works. So what does that do for the person who has the gaping, gashing wound in their side? Well, if you come from a metaphysics like I do, 
that ultimately we're all deeply interconnected and intertwined. And on some level, your suffering is my suffering as far as the fact that we're part of a collective human species and probably share a certain level of collective karma because we've incarnated onto this planet. Um, and then let alone at the same time and space, um, what happens to you matters to me. I mean, mm -hmm. this is what social justice is all about. Mm -hmm. It's like, it matters to me what happens to other people. Um, and that until there's justice for everyone, then there isn't really justice, you know, uh, for mm -hmm. me. Mm. So what it does for me to be in service of where other people are in pain, where I've been in pain, is to bring that sense of justice, to, to change that so that you don't have to go through the suffering that I went through. Mm. On a time level, if we step out of linear thinking for a moment, I believe that everything is happening at once simultaneously. So when there's a healing that takes place in the present moment, let's say there's, let's say we're sitting in session together. See, I, I have a harder time with visual metaphors. If we're sitting in session together and um, you, this is just hypothetical, you grieve the way that your mother criticized you and you really feel it and you feel how horrible that is. And then at the same time that you recognize that you were a victim of that, that you have done that to your children, that you're criticizing them. By feeling that pain and me witnessing it and then you recognizing it, it dissolves that karmic knot and then you stop, hopefully you work on not doing that to your children. Okay, that's a very direct cause mm -hmm. and effect, right? Because you see it in a lineage way breaking down. But I think even beyond that, you actually are going into the past and you're changing the relationship that you had on some energetic, you could call it the Akashic record, you could call it the auric body, you could call it karma level, so that in some way there's another version of reality where that didn't have to happen. So it both goes, the healing in the present heals the past and it heals the future and it changes timelines mm -hmm. um, personally, but also collectively. So there's a diachronic way it's happening. And then, then there's a synchronic spatial way that it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so when we talk about the evolution of consciousness, I mean, and social justice is one component of that. Um, I think that's part of what it does for us is it and from a reincarnationist perspective says that if we have social justice for all, then the next time you reincarnate, you won't be scared shitless to be born as a black lesbian woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we're going to reincarnate. We're going to be all different forms, shapes, and sizes. So why aren't we making this place hospitable for everybody? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the metaphysics that I come from. So those are some ways that I hold that. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're wanting a more direct one, we could go there too. Like in the uh, present moment. Yeah. I mean, may maybe, but I, I – love what you just said on many levels. One being that it reminded me of why we used to have a joke that we were each other's nemeses. Yes. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, your um, belief in, in 
the interconnectedness of all things, I think was the basis of our, our departure. Cause I used to say nothing is connected and everything is chaos. And, you know, it's ultimately meaningless when it's outside of our own minds. Um, and I still stand pretty firm <laughs> with that belief. However, uh, you know, it, it, I think it, we're still on the same page in terms of how that is meaningful, even if it's to me only meaningful in, in within the human consciousness as currently evolved. And, and for you, it's maybe um, hopefully somewhat accurate to say it's it's meaningful on a, a outside of human consciousness and on like a universal level. Mm. Um, and I absolutely still agree with the conclusion of even if my consciousness is disconnected from others and it's, you know, when I die, that's it. It's done. This was my one shot. Um, absolutely agree with there still being a moral imperative and a very important reason to create a better world than, you know, the one that I inherited and to, you know, I, I love that you brought the social justice aspect into it because, um, you know, that is important. We want, we want to grow, we want to, um, uh, as uh, one of my teachers once put it, like we have to be brave enough to dis um, to disavow the worldview and the world that we inherited and to create something new. And every single generation has to do that. And every single person has to do that if we want to have transformation and growth and to you know, love each other in ways that are a little bit better than we've been given, mm. whether or not we're directly receiving the benefit of it. I guess my, my initial question was like, is there, um, and you answered it. I was going to say, is there a, a direct and immediate benefit beyond, um, yes. or in addition to giving it out, putting it out Ab in the world? Absolutely. Um, from what I can tell so far, the quality of my life gets better every time I am able to serve from the place of my suffering. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I suffer less mm -hmm. in my experience of reality by not only tending to my own suffering, feeling my pain, acknowledging it, processing it, being with it, but then finding a way to do it differently to other yeah. people, um, that wound might not close, but the other muscles in my body get stronger. Mm. My skin gets clear. Like I'm trying to stay with like, you know, the physical visual metaphor, <laughs> but it's like my life gets better. Like yeah. without a doubt, there is a personal reward to it. It's not just altruistic. It's not just about the other. It's deeply about the self. Mm -hmm. And a huge part, I think, of what's built into human evolution, you could even say with, if you want to take products, for example, why do we make better things to make the world better? Mm -hmm. So why do we help others to make the quality of our life better. I feel rewarded for the work that I do 
not just because I see the people around me living better lives, but because I'm enjoying my life more and more every day. Mm. Yeah. I kind of want to wrap this back around to, um, you know, immediately I'm, when you speak and say those words, I'm reminded of the name of your brand, Trust Psyche. And um, that just seems really intimately connected. As I understand it, it's like, there might not be an exact direct linear way of um, understanding how those healing processes work, but bringing the the trust in it of, you know, like you were saying, well, it, I know that it makes my life better. You know, there might not be a specific chemical reaction to that. There probably is as well, but we do know that, you know, yeah, like that makes my life better. You're saying it makes your life better. Um, and I think there's, this, um, you know, the sense of, of trusting the unknown of, of trusting the processes of our own minds. And, you know, do you see that connection as well? And is that a good segue? Cause I, I just love how you talk about the name of your brand and why mm. you chose that name. Mm, I would absolutely love to talk about that and it is connected, but I actually want to kind of challenge you on something. Okay. And that is given what you just said about some of your cosmology. Hmm. Do you then believe that humans have projected the meaning of the planets onto them? Mm. Those are hum- entirely human constructs and that's how astrology works. I think everything that we understand about them and their effect on our lives um comes from the specifically human consciousness. But I wouldn't, uh, I'm, I'm detecting maybe, does that mean we're just making it up? And I would say no. So no, I don't think that um, just because there is maybe no meaning outside of our consciousness, that doesn't mean that everything is meaningless. How's that possible? Well, if so, if everything is um, so obviously the process of evolution, you know, this is maybe something that we can um, to some extent understand outside of of our maybe projections and definitions of things. So evolution is this process of things interacting with each other and changing and transforming, right? So maybe there is a, um, maybe the planets do have a, um, a sense of beingness and a meaning of their own, and that is interacting with our individual consciousness or our collective consciousness and is mm-hmm. having some, and we are with our consciousness interpreting something mm-hmm. in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that our knowledge is that interpretation, not exactly some truth that can be extracted 
from our consciousness. Mm-hmm. I don't think sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with you. This is why I'm often confused because when we go deeper into our, our conversations, I'm like, is some of this linguistics? Like, is some of this like our definition of things? Because I fully agree with you. I don't think there is any truth out there. I think we're always, I mean, I, I come from a metaphysics of relationship, which is why I say everything's interconnected. When mm-hmm. you're talking about the relationship of the human being with, in this case, the planet, I don't think there's something outside where there's some truth and that we could extract it or that's even the point is to extract it. I think everything is so deeply symbiotic that you can't ever fully distinguish what is what and which is coming from there, though I do 100% agree that we are filtering everything through our human consciousness and where we're currently at, you know, with being human. And I think there are a lot of factors that go into that, including um, thought forms, like historical thought forms of all the words that I'm using, you know, what these words have meant to countless people over countless years. I cannot escape that. So I am forced to communicate with you through something that predates me that I don't really get to have that much of a say on. So I'm always implicated in everything else that's around me, all my relations, and a huge part of what I understand myself to be for me is almost barely quote unquote me. It is all the things that have constituted, constituated this moment. For sure. For sure. And I, you know, I think that there's, um, I'm a firm believer that almost any difference will kind of be dissolved. If you kind of like dig in and keep looking like the nature of trying to understand something is that I'm going to like take one little part of it and try to explain that part. But then as soon as I go out of that, um, you know, things are going to get murkier. And, um, you know, I think that also, you know, my personal relationship with astrology, I, I don't, think too much about the metaphysics of it. It's more the practicality of it. Like, you know, I can philosophize for hours and come up with, you know, a hundred different explanations of why I may or may not um, have a connection with, with um, maybe like a, a, a deeper or more spiritual understanding of astrology that, can be fun and delightful. And I do want to do that sometimes. And for me, the way that I use it and the way that I talk about it with other people who are curious about it, who may not have been initiated into it, um, is really on a practical level. You know, it's like, I'm going to tell you about this. You are invited to explore your own relationship with, um, the spiritual dimensions of astrology. And that's kind of for you. And when we're going to talk about it or when I think about it, we're going to just look at, you know, the, the practical aspect that this is a particular language that is going to give you a set of insights that you can use to understand yourself better and to manifest um, and transform certain aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I can appreciate that approach. But for me, ethically, we have to be transparent about what our metaphysics are because all of our interpretations of the planets stem from what our metaphysics is. So mm. depending on how you understand something like Saturn, 
the planet Saturn has a lot to do with how you understand cause and effect, whether you believe in God, whether you believe in karma. Um, these things all influence um, how you interpret and give meaning and talk to whoever about that planet. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as an astrologer, I think we have to ethically be transparent about our metaphysics and think about it, not because it's fun or, you know, it's this spiritual quest, but because it's actually really practical that it it it's where so much of how I make meaning of what's going on um, for the client. Like when someone mm-hmm. tells me their story, how I'm making meaning of what's happening in their life, I believe is largely coming from my metaphysics. And then the way that I reflect back what I'm hearing, I think also largely comes from my metaphysics. And to kind of um, distill that down, I think you sometimes can go to an astrologer and leave the reading feeling shameful. Mm-hmm. And then so that, and then you can go and feel like really deeply affirmed for what's going on with you and empowered. And mm-hmm. for me, that has a lot to do with someone's metaphysics. Mm-hmm. If you live in a world where you see pathology versus you live in a world where you don't see pathology, then you're going to have a very different experience of how that person's telling you their story. So you and I are going to sit down, hear the same story, interpret it two different ways, focus on different aspects of the chart and then interpret the planets differently. Mm -hmm. And the largest umbrella that's, I think, rooted in our metaphysics. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a, a lot to unpack there. I think, um, you know, one, you're, you're right on. And again, to, to bring in how, um, how I differentiate you from other practitioners is that deep rooted sense of integrity and holding that space, um, really, you know, gently and ethically and like really understanding like all of the psychological dimensions that are happening when you're sitting in presence and exploring someone else's psyche. Um, I think for me, that's also one of the reasons I, I don't call myself an astrologer to me. I'm, I'm a facilitator. I'm, um, will only go to a certain level with a person if I'm looking at their chart with them and I view it as more of, you know, we're going to out sit and be present with what's, what's happening with you and what's up with you. And I will introduce you in a really basic level to how you can understand this tool and give you resources for further exploration. Um, and you know, whether it's using astrology or, or the circles or storytelling or any other modality, um, that's as far as I will take it in the group mm-hmm. in my current understanding of the tools that I'm using. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's so important. I mean, I think we've all had experiences of um, sitting with a practitioner, an astrologer, a tarot reader, a therapist um, in a workshop and having people guide us through in a really unethical and sometimes kind of harmful way. And, you know, even a couple of years ago, I had a tarot reading um, with someone that I didn't know. And even knowing everything that I know about how to hold space, about how this um, how this experience is going to go, 
even coming from my personal belief that, you know, it's rare if not doesn't happen that a tarot reading is going to tell me my future in some kind of concrete way. Even knowing all of that, this person, without asking, I did not ask for a prediction of the future, told me something that was going to happen. And it stuck in my head so, like, for months, like, for so long. And so many times I would step back and be like, I know that that's bullshit. Like, I know that that person shouldn't have done that. Um, And yet, as soon as you sit down and have an experience with someone, no matter, you know, what the context is, when you are having some form of sacred exchange with someone, it gets in under your skin on like a, in a really deep and spiritual way. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened. That sucks. Just that level of imprinting. Yeah. Yeah. It did. And it was like, it was something small and ultimately inconsequential, but it a hundred percent affected the way that I showed up to this experience that I was about to have. Um, Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it, and it happens, you know, all the time, especially in, the time. in people working in your profession, which, you know, you shared before that one of the reasons that you went to school to become a licensed therapist was so that you could be a better astrologer. And I think that that's like the epitome of taking your craft seriously and understanding the importance of those exchanges that you're having with people and how important it is to be um, an ethical guide mm. in that way. I hate my field. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I am ex- in an excruciating amount of pain around it. Mm. It is cringeworthy. I find it often unethical mm. and um, I'm very disappointed and I'm very sad and it's made me want to quit a hundred times. And I've, I have quit several times because of yeah. how pissed off I was to be associated with the bullshit and the harm that people cause when they think that they can predict the future, or know someone better than they know themselves and all this bull honky that goes with mm-hmm. being given, you know, a certain amount of power when you learn this language. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I don't really, I often don't know what to do about it other than um, do my best to do it differently and show up in spaces, especially as a teacher, to help the people I work with do it differently. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Chiron is opposite my natal Saturn and Uranus on my mm-hmm. IC Midheaven. And, um, Talk about a wound around profession. You know, the Saturn Uranus is me as a professional astrologer with a, you know, public persona there at the Midheaven mm. and a teacher of it too. Um, so it's both my career, but it's also in the ninth house. So it's in my ninth and my tenth, but Saturn's in my ninth. It has a lot to do with teaching it, you know, studying it in the academy and then teaching it. Um, but the Chiron there, I mean, I I am continually to this day, 14 years later into this profession, 
shocked, disgusted, mm. pissed off by what I see. And mm. Travis is like, you know, it's like that. Why, you know, why, why you, why do you act so surprised? And I'm like, because uh, I hope every day that it changes and it just barely. I often feel the work that I do and the people who are doing work like I do barely make a dent in it. Mm. And I just like, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it, it it's unfortunately like that in, I was going to say in any profession, but I, I think what we're specifically talking about is in spaces where there's a power dynamic and the person with the power is not acting ethically. Um, you know, the, the same or a similar type of harm that happens between astrologer and client or therapist and patient happens between manager and employee, teacher and student. Like those are the spaces where we are receiving information from someone with power about who we are and what we are capable of doing in the world. You know, it's very, very similar. Like how many people have wounds around picking up a paintbrush because their third grade teacher said something unkind about their ability to paint when they were nine years old. Um, or how many people don't um, aspire to advancing in their careers because of ways that certain former employees treated them and they've taken on a certain perception of themselves and, and what they're capable of. You know, it happens in all of these spaces and, you know, it's so abundantly clear that your calling is to be an astrologer and a therapist. And, you know, it's kind of like that, uh, you know, the story of, of Arjuna who wanted to quit being a warrior because he didn't want to kill people, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, now maybe that's acceptable, but uh, you know it's like we've got it. We've got to go into those spaces. Um, those of us that can see a better way, that can see how us showing up better decreases the likelihood of um, of pain and causing harm for the people that we're interacting with, and. It's an unfortunate thing that, you know, for the most part are, uh, you know, like you said, it's like barely putting a dent in, but, um, you know, it, it's still meaningful because, uh, you know, we, we both value the relational and, and we want to show up with integrity and at least do with whatever we can with what's in our reach. Um, to make those spaces healthier, more positive, um, fertile ground for people to be empowered to have the kind of lives that they want to have. Mm. But you as a teacher, I think, you know, that's you get to extend beyond what's what is just within arm's reach and you get to have that impact on a much bigger scale because you're helping the people who are um, in those spaces and have power in those spaces to do it better. I mean, and that, you know, talking about this with you makes me realize that the two places Chiron has shown up for me most of my life is family. It's on my IC, home, roots, the past, 
lineage um, and astrology. Mm. They're the two places that have caused me the most pain <laughs> mm. and suffering in my mm-hmm. life and um, the impossibility of it. And yet, there's nowhere else for me to go. There's nowhere else for me to be. It's clearly, like you said, my calling. You know, it's my dharma. It's just is. Um, mm-hmm. I work. What, what my work? I'm a therapist. What do we talk about all the time in therapy? Family, you know. Yeah. And uh, and then astrology and teaching it. And when I think about how to be a teacher, um, I just one thing I think about is all the ways I've been hurt by my teachers. Mm. And then I do the opposite of that. (laughs) I'm like, how did you royally fuck me up? (laughs) And I'm going to do my best to royally not do that. Absolutely. For my students. Mm -hmm. And the same as a a mother. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, what are all the ways that I was hurt? Oh, I'm just gonna do my best to to do it differently. Yeah, I you know. Don't I don't know what else there is to do, but in that part of Chiron, that's inescapable. Like, like yeah. you're like the wound doesn't close. It's like yeah, it's not only is it like an immortal wound, like it doesn't heal. It's like you can't escape it. Like there is a feeling of being trapped. It's like oh, I've got to go crazy. Mm. This is- fucking sucks Mm. um because we're also seeing that same wound in other people and you know this is it can be a trap that i will fall into is when i can see those wounds it's almost less tolerable for me to see it in other people than to see it for myself um and that the trap part is that I might, you know, put a little bit too much elbow grease in trying to fix it. So that's been a part of my um, maturation process, I guess, is like learning how to have a much lighter touch. Still working on that one. Yeah. You you and me both forever. I mean, it's part of the um, suffering that comes from seeing so much. Mm. Like, I just remember one time this, like, a, uh, a friend of a friend, he lived in chronic pain. He, like, threw his back out and ruptured discs and was probably going to live in pain for the rest of his life. And he was just like, ignorance is bliss. He's like, if I could go back and not know, he's like, I would. Mm. And I was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, like, most, where does, like, most of my emotional pain and psychological pain come from is how much I see. Mm-hmm. And I can't unsee it. And it really hurts. It, like, real. I'm, like, in, I'm not kidding. I'm in daily pain around it. Like, yeah, I see it. I see it. I see it in the people around me. I see it in the relationships. I see it with my family. I see it with my friends and their partnerships. I see it. I walk into a room. And it's like, I don't know, the first 30 seconds, I pretty much know what's going on. And it just Mm -hmm. hurts so bad. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to know. I don't want to (laughs) know. I don't want to see. I don't fucking care. Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like I had that uh, 
that talk with myself when I was probably in like junior high or something. And I was just like, oh, like the perception anyway was that everyone was just having a much easier time than I was, which was probably not true knowing what I know well, but uh, knowing what I know now. However, at the time, it felt like I was struggling so much and everyone else was able to figure out a way to be like happy in this kind of superficial Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, wait, I think I can figure out the mental trick to to do that, but it would mean turning something else off. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of like had this moment where I was like, Am I, am I willing to turn that off to have whatever I perceived that experience that other people were having? Mm. Um, you know, the answer was no, but I, I don't know if I could have turned it off anyway. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> like, Damn it. let me in on that secret. <laughs> but do you oh, think you would? Do you think you would? I don't know. Today I want to say yes, but I know that I'm, I know that I'm just a li- I know that I'm lying. We all know that I'm lying. Come on, everyone knows I'm a junkie for for seeing. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, I want to uh, just want to come back to trust psyche because yeah. you did ask me that question, and then I challenged you, and I do have to say, wow, we became friends in what 2009. Yeah, 2009, 2010. Well, in my mind, we became friends a lot earlier than when we actually became friends. <laughs> That's because we're disconnected and you're in your own world and I'm in my world and they have nothing exactly. to do with each other. So, yes, 2009, we became best friends. <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm like this close to telling this story of us I'm, hanging I'm out for the first time. I'm fine with that. If, if, uh, <laughs> feels natural (laughs) i just have to say a whole jupiter cycle later here we are 12 years later Uh whatever i'm still frustrated that (laughs) i can't get you to convert to um just like i don't know you you have this way of like we agree like on so many things in this way but yet you just demand there maintain a difference between us and it just I'm just like no no you know and here I thought maybe we maybe we'd gotten a little closer like in in our sameness or whatever mm-hmm. and I think in ways we have but I'm still like yeah. oh shit it's the same conversation <laughs> but that's all right that's all right it's our karma <sighs> <laughs> it just really gets me going. It just gets under my skin. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. And I'm like, Jessica, that's not what you're about. You're about connection over being right. But there's something about talking to you that makes me want to be right. It wants you to be wrong. <laughs> you know, if you find a way to prove it, I'll I'll accept it. <laughs> ah, that's hot. <laughs> I mean, that's what having a nemesis is really all about, right? It uh, it drives us and pushes us a little bit more into our own um, calling. Mm. 
Oh, that's sweet. I like that. <laughs> See, I feel like you just connected with me, you know, in that yeah. way by by saying that. But I don't I don't know how to reciprocate that. Yeah. See know. that that's why I wanted you to be my nemesis. It was it was like the best compliment I could find to get someone. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm like, what a gift from the universe. Oh my <laughs> Not everyone God. gets one. <laughs> oh my God. Ugh. I don't even know what to say. I'm flushed. I'm like, which direction do I go in now? I'm like, what to say? I have like 10 like visuals and stories in my head now. Mm. I'm like, do I tell the story of the first yeah, time we met? Or do we- okay. So, okay. So we met. From uh, your perspective, just okay. so all listeners can understand. This is um, Jessica's version. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Okay, let me just get right to the chase. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you came over to my house to procure some things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I lived up and on the hill. And- oh, good. Okay, yeah, maybe maybe we'll like go yeah, back and go forth ahead. and fill you in the ahead. details, which was, Please. you know, we didn't know each other all that well, and I stopped by your house, and Jessica was someone that I always you know, admired in the community and, and kind of wanted to have this connection with. And I was like having a great day, had just received some opportunities. And then I'm going to see Jessica and I was like, in my mind, walking to your house, like, hey, you know, maybe we'll like hang out today, like, you know, beyond <laughs> beyond what we normally exchange. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, so we met, we met in San Francisco and we met at CIS, yeah. right? We met so school. You were going to school there. We met, we're hanging out groups. Like you were good friends with a lot of my good friends. Yeah. And I had been, I don't know if I had been to your house at that point or not. But anyways, we hadn't really connected. I yeah. don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't know if I need to entirely go into why that is. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> you came over to my house. It was a beautiful sunny day in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It was the afternoon. And we're hanging out for a minute. And I think you invited me to walk down the hill. I lived on a very steep hill to walk down the hill to the mission district and get a drink at a bar. Yeah. And And to go dancing. There was like an intention of like, I feel like that's how I got you because I knew you liked to dance. Okay. And so somehow it felt like, uh, like I could pop that in there of like, thinking of going dancing tonight. Intense. You were working me. <laughs> I was working you, were, you. You were working me up. Okay. <laughs> and I just remember feeling, talk about an FFT, a fucking first time. Yeah. I had never gone out to a bar before. I had never been invited mm-hmm. out to a bar. That seems crazy because I was in my early to mid 20s at that point. I, don't know, I had been yeah. at least 23. You didn't drink a lot. I, I didn't I drink remember a lot. That. Yeah. <laughs> didn't drink a lot back then. And so, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. And I felt super shy and uncomfortable and awkward, but excited for the adventure. And I said, yes. And then you and I were alone walking down the street. And I was like, <laughs> what are we going to talk about? I hope this goes well. And you started telling me stories. And I immediately was like, I was like, okay, I'm warming up to you. And you were telling me about this game that you and your friend used to do where you leave your, uh, wallets at home 
and get the people when you were out to buy your drinks for you. And I was like, so do you want to do that tonight? Yeah, you were like, maybe. Uh, called it strategic essentialism um, where you <laughs> use your <laughs> – Yes, early 20s, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to out you along the way here Thanks. in this story. Yeah, go for and it. we get down to the first bar and like there's not really too many people there and we have a drink and I'm like, wow, okay, hit me pretty hard. I wasn't really drinking much. Went to the next bar, started talking to people. And then by this time I was really warming up and we we're making our way down the street and somehow we made it to the end and we went in to get, I don't know, I guess it was our last drink of the night. And uh, I thought that you went to the bathroom and we our plan was to go outside and meet up. And I think we were going to either go somewhere or we we're going to go somewhere next together. And I thought you were in the bathroom. So I went outside to meet you and I waited out there for about 30 minutes. And we, <laughs> we should say also... We we met people on our adventure. We were dancing, drinking. We were like suddenly like rolling with a crew of strangers. Oh yeah, we and, did have a posse by the end of this. Yeah, and I I thought the night had ended and that we everyone was leaving and going home. And I thought things were just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> so we leave we leave this bar and I thought everyone was was with me. And I see a cab across the road and I just yell like, you know, there's our taxi. Let's go, everyone. Run over, get in the taxi. All of a sudden I realize I'm alone and I look over and in my, you know, three margaritas deep mind, I was like, oh, everyone must have decided to walk home. And that's why they didn't come into the taxi with me. I guess I'm just supposed to like take the taxi home alone. So I left. And so <laughs> she leaves. I'm standing out for the first time ever going out, like, you know, quite a, like by myself, honestly. Like, what am I? Like mm -hmm. a kept a kept woman, kind of, <laughs> you know? And I'm standing out there and I finally realized you're not in the bathroom and that you left. And I just felt utterly abandoned. And I was like, I wrote you off. And I was like, fuck that bitch. <laughs> We're never hanging out again. I hate her. How and I went home and me? I was like, that night went great. I think we're <laughs> definitely friends now. You know, I send her a little text at the end of the night like, that was really fun. <laughs> I have no idea how we recovered or repaired from that. I don't remember. Yeah. Well, we it was. we process it. We probably didn't. I had no idea that that experience was like that for you. And and probably like maybe three or four months later, I want to say, was when I got a job interview to interview at Esalen in Big Sur. And me thinking that Jessica and I were, you know, pals, we're great friends, you know, we have so much fun together. I reached out to her because she had a car. I didn't have a car. And I was like, do you want to come to Esalen with me? I have this job interview. If you come with me and drive, we can spend, you know, two days at Esalen. And you almost said no, but a mutual friend of ours who was, who was wise, he was just Aww. like, Jess, I think you need to, to give her another chance and, and go to Esalen and see what happens. Oh, that's actually healing for me to hear in this moment in regards to that mutual friend. Mm. 
up spending like oh well i so i would go to i would come to esalen every yeah. month because i would drive down from san francisco to pacifica to Santa oh Barbara, that's right yeah where yeah. i was going to school and then on the way back up esalen was the halfway point yeah. and i would come over and i would stay with you for a few days yeah and we would like you would be the my like landing pad after you know being in school for three days Oh my god! You like pretty much like ushered me through grad school. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's fun to remember that. Yeah. (laughs) So you never know. You never know. Well, I feel like you you were kind of skeptical about me from the beginning. Yeah. And I kind of knew you were a little skeptical about me, but I was like, "Uh, you know, I think she'll warm up eventually. Travis says I typically okay, cool. I, I usually hate people that I end up loving. Uh-huh. Right? So I hate them first. I don't know. I mean, what am I supposed to say? You're really good looking. You're extremely charming and witty, but like, I don't know. Are you of substance? Are you real? Are you a pretender? <laughs> what can I say? I I inherited a very judgmental, critical position toward the world. I'm guarded. Yeah. I'm yes. I'm at this one time the most open person and the most guarded person. I get that. Yeah. But cuz I think I am too. You know. In certain I ways. Mean, I think thanks to you we're friends. Yeah, I'll take credit for that. That's fine. There you go. Oh, did I find a, <laughs> did I did I find a little way in? <laughs> so we just have a little bit left. Uh, time left and I'm just wondering what wants to happen in our last little bit of time together Mm, gosh yeah there's I feel like we're just getting warmed up um well let's talk about let's talk about trust psyche because it's such a big part of you know our current our current work um one just it's been really wonderful and delightful to work on your brand to be trusted with something that's so precious and important to you, something that you've built up over a decade. Um, I don't take that lightly. You know, it's, it's, um, it's like working maybe in a similar vein of like working with someone therapeutically. Um, it might not be the inner workings of your mind, but it's like the outer, the outer things that you have constructed from, um, your insights and what you want to bring into the world. So it's been amazing to be trusted enough to work with your brands. Um, it's also just been like delightful to have so much contact, like be like working with you as um, a team member um, and create things together and and change things Aww. up. So that's been awesome. We did. You know, when you have a little baby, you don't get time to like reflect anymore, (laughs) (laughs) which I really miss. Uh, So hearing you say that, we did. We created something together. That makes me like super happy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you took took my first baby and you helped elevate it in a way that feels in better alignment with where I'm at now and how I've grown as a practitioner. I'm so proud of the work that we've done Me too. and I'm just so Im- deeply, deeply impressed by you 
and Mm -hmm. your work ethic and your abilities, your commitment to the process, but just the way you show up. um, Everything from the practical side of things to the way you hold a meeting and take notes, but to (laughs) the deep vision. I mean, I think that you were able to hold the larger frame of what was um, transforming with Trust Psyche and gave me the time and space to kind of catch up with it. And you held Mm -hmm. on to it until I was ready to embrace it and be like, yeah, let's do this. And I I said this in our Insta uh, live that we did, but the new logo and the brand kit and the colors and the palettes and fonts and everything that we did, I'm in love with it so much that I like have a visceral repulsion to my old logo <laughs> and my old website. I'm like, oh my God, I hate that. that has, I don't want to look at that. That has nothing to do with me. Mm. Um, so I just, I love what, what we've done together. And um, yeah, I just, I guess I just want to say uh, briefly, I thought the other day for the first time where Trust Psyche came from and why why I named it that. And um, it was right around the time that we met, um, actually. And I was really scared at that point in my life. I was scared that I wasn't going to make it. Mm-hmm. I was scared I wasn't going to make it uh, financially, that I wasn't going to be able to support myself, and that I wasn't going to be able to support myself doing what I loved. I was scared I wasn't going to make it professionally. And I was scared I wasn't going to make it romantically, that I wasn't going to live the life that I knew I could live um, at the level that I wanted to live it. And when I was thinking about that and thinking about what embarking on trust psyche meant for me, I asked myself, what is it that I need to do in order to actualize what it is that I want? Hmm. And then the name popped into my head and I was like, you have to trust psyche. And I was like, Oh, I was like, that, and that's what I mean by a living prayer. It's like trust psyche is my intention for myself that then by living it to the best of my ability, want to help other people or facilitate other people doing the same. And that starting trust psyche not only was the vehicle for me to do that, but it gave me the daily courage Mm -hmm. to be able to make the million little decisions I needed to make in order to do that. And it's my own litmus test. It's like I'm constantly having to hold trust psyche up to my personal life and say, am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Am I living the life I want to live in all these different areas? And I've had to make really hard decisions over the past 10 years, personally, professionally, romantically, financially. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that process, it was like, what's my guide? And I was like, trust psyche. It's like, I think so many of us know what we need to do, but the faith that it takes and the courage that it takes to make that leap is a whole other thing. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times in in my life, in order to make that leap, what I've done is trust psyche, trusted the process, trust my intuition, trust my instinct, trust what I feel the universe is saying to me through astrology or dreams or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And lastly, that, you know, you say your na- your business's name thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Mm-hmm. So not only does it need to sound good and feel good, but it's like, is that something that I want to stand behind saying over and over again? Mm-hmm. And that's for me where it's like, 
that living prayer. It's like, I want what I'm saying, the words that I'm speaking to be the life that I want to live. I want to trust Psyche. Um, yeah. So I, that was fun for me to remember that. I I love that. And that's such a good point of thinking about what am I invoking? Like, I mean, I think we think about it a little bit when we create our business names of like, what am I putting out there? What am I representing? But the very act of saying something and how powerful that is to say the same thing over and over again and the importance of choosing really carefully. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that concept. And it, I, you know, in our work, um, one of the biggest changes that you made was separating the, the name into two words. And, um, you know, it was really important for you in the beginning. We had a, a whole conversation where you shared why trust psyche was, was one word and why that was so important to you. Um, you know, and that was one of those things that for me in, in my role and capacity as, um, you know, being a, a consultant and a guide for you through that process where, you know, I had to kind of weigh like, wow, this person like really just expressed like how important it is to her to keep those as two words. Um, and I felt the conviction that it would be better from your, especially new students and, and um, clients point of view to have that separated out into two words, to be able to, for like at the very baseline, the simple fact of just being able to read it better, um, you know, and, and kind of putting it in more practical terms when I did the initial research and was interviewing people. We interviewed some people who were your students and we interviewed um, people who hadn't ever worked with you before, hadn't ever heard of the brand. And every person who hadn't heard of it, um, there was just like a little trip up when they read the name, they like some people never pronounced it right or, but everybody just kind of like stumbled over it for a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just, it felt important for me to separate that name out. And it, once we did, and I looked at it, I was like, oh, this actually feels like a much more powerful iteration of what you had originally described in the importance of the name. So I kind of want to like put it back to you um, because in separating out the name, I, I still think what you said of why the name was originally one is really important. So I want to, you know, give you a chance to talk a little bit more about that. <clears throat> it was one name and it had to all be lowercase. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't handle it being capitalized. Yeah. And it was like this deep philosophical truth of like, no, it's trust psyche. Like it's not trust psyche. It's trust psyche. Like it's like, it's seamless. It's one. <clears throat> it's one. It's not separate. <laughs> Sue me. Sun, Mercury, Neptune here, everybody. <laughs> and, uh, and it couldn't be capitalized because I don't know, you don't capitalize on those things. I don't know. It's a very mm -hmm. strange thing to say. Like, I don't, what is it? I don't know. It's kind of pretentious. Like people who <laughs> used to, to capitalize the first letter of their name. Mm. Come on. You're just like, <laughs> really? Fuck you. You know? 
when we separated the words out, not only did it become more legible and I had to take seriously that people who don't know me were tripping up over the name, like, hello, I don't want that happening. I'm a businesswoman. Come on. I'm not just like, oh, but I like it like this. Yeah. I can't tell you what it means for me now that they're separated Mm -hmm. and capitalized. Mm -hmm. I feel like my brand as a representation of me that I have changed and evolved to a place where they have to be separated now and two different words. And I don't know if that's a differentiation in my psyche that's taken place or what, but Mm. um, it's important to honor them. I don't even know what I'm saying is two separate entities coming together, the T and the P trust psyche. There's a relationship. It's, it's not, just one seamless thing. Mm. It's two things. It's a process. It's there. Um, And it's, you know, like when we think of two planets and how they can come into relationship with one another, they can be congruent. They can be um, dissonant. They can be harmonious. They can be antagonists. There can be paradoxical. Um, There's so many ways that these relationships can manifest. I think too, trust psyche, it's, it's a complex nuance, ever-changing process. It doesn't just mean, oh, accept your life and reality as it is and have positive thinking. Everybody knows I'm not into that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I think there's a lot more there, but it's like for whatever reason where I'm at now, they had to move into two. Mm-hmm. But it took me a year and a half or however long to get to that point of saying, okay, I'm ready to do that. I agree. Mm-hmm. And that that also then made – I first decided to change the logo, which I said I was not going to do. Mm-hmm. Then I decided to separate the words, which I said I was not going to do. And then I also removed archetypal from my tagline, which I said mm-hmm. I was not going to do. And mm-hmm. I did that as well. So it's like those are three pretty big changes to take place. But once you make one change, the rest make more sense and it becomes easier to do and necessary. And now I feel like what's there – is more accurate in representing who I am now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the two words invites action. It shows movement, which uh, was something that came up in the process of discovery when we were figuring out what we wanted the logo to look like. Um, The, this idea of movement kept coming up and seemed very important. And, you know, the movement is in the, um, the logo, the picture mark part of the logo as this wave, there's this sense of movement. Um, action is movement. The two words, a separate invite invites that. Um, yeah, I think it's really, really powerful. And, you know, in these processes of creation, um, you know, I, I think back to, you know, my work behind the bar it was like, when you're going through the process of creating a new cocktail or a new drink, um, you know, that's a process that takes a, usually anyway, it takes a long time. You're going through several iterations. People are, you know, you're having other professionals taste it and, and um, critique and refine. And always, you know, my mentor in the bar world, um, he would always say, it doesn't matter how good you think the drink is or how good it tastes to you, is it going to sell? Is it going to be in a form 
that is recognizable to other people. You know, if you're selling, um, ultimately it comes down to, you know, I can come up with a good drink that I'm going to make for myself at home and that's fine. But if I want something to be on a menu, it's got to be something that people can read and kind of understand and know what they're purchasing. And then it's got to taste good to them and not just to one person, not just to the expert. Um, it's got to taste good to the general population. Um, and I even connect that back to the, you know, our, our time where we really had that connection. And the first time that we shared at, at Esalen, um, we connected over, I was reading um, Judith Butler's giving an account of oneself and that idea of, you know, big point that she's making in the book is this idea of recognizability that, you know, as we, as individuals are kind of forming ourselves as unique people and individuals and changing and transforming, um, that to be in relationship, we have to have some sort of consistent recognizability that that gives other people the ability to actually be in relationship with us, to be in relationship to our brand, to, to understand and be in relationship to the product or service that we want to offer the world. And I think that this is something that's really important for me to bring in specifically to the world of astrology, but also with uh, counseling in general is we're running a business. This is a business. This isn't just some spiritual service. This isn't some selfless thing that you're doing. You deserve to make a really good living doing what you're doing, not just to take care of yourself. Um, because that's a good thing to do. I know it's a necessary thing to do. If you're going to show up in this work, a lot of it has to do with self-worth. And Mm -hmm. when you have self-worth, you have good boundaries, that actually makes you a better practitioner as an astrologer, as a clinician, Mm -hmm. as a therapist. And we're constantly working those things through. But everything from your fee to how you represent yourself to the structure of your time, this is all critical into what I believe to be the mutual healing field between the client and the practitioner. And so I think it's very difficult, you know, when you go to school for psychology, you don't get trained in how to be an entrepreneur and how to run a private practice. Yeah. Um, and when you're an astrologer, you don't get training. I mean, most people don't even get training on how to read a chart, let alone how to run a business. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, what you and I can both really connect around this aspect of business, but your forte and your gift is being able to come in and say, let's look at the data. Let's look at the research. Let's do that work. Let's see what's here. Let's make a plan. Let's give structure to this, which of course my Capricorn energy loves. Let's make this shit (laughs) real. Like, I don't just want to sit here and talk about it. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so, um, is there any way that people can find you or connect with you in any way, whether that's social media or however, is there any way that feels good to you? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm on the Instagrams and can reach me by email if, um, yeah, anybody wants to hear more information about the kind of work that we did and, um, whether or not that could be beneficial to whatever you all are, are cooking up and creating. 
if you're listening to this and you're wondering, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll put that contact information um, in the description of this podcast, both on YouTube and um, on Podbean, so everyone can find you and connect with James. Um, thank you so much for being here with me. I hope you come back on again real soon. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you for creating this space and guiding us in the conversation. Always wonderful oh. to be with you. Oh. All right, everybody. Well, this is Trust Psyche, the podcast. I'm Jessica Drutza here with James Sochi. See you next time and happy Easter. <laughs> Bye.